See, He didn't create anything that's bad. Nothing. Now, there are a lot of things that God created we may not understand. You get what I'm saying? There's a lot of stuff about the world and the universe and the creation and all. I don't understand it. I remember when I was in like the sixth or seventh grade, one of my uh, assignments in a biology class or science class, whatever it was, we had to learn how to actually write out the whole process of grass turning green. What do you call that? Not chloroform. What, what do you call it? Photosynthesis. Yeah, that's it. When you, yeah, when things turn green. I used to be able to write all that out. I don't understand that. I don't understand how plants take carbon dioxide and make oxygen or vice versa, whatever it is that they do. I don't, I don't get that. I'm not a science guy. I don't even understand algebra. Anyone not understand algebra here beside me? Thank you very much. I feel at home. I always had to do the odd number problems where the answers were in the back of the book before I tried to do my homework with the real stuff and I never got it right ever just because I just, math is not my deal, man. It just wasn't my deal. There's a lot about physics. I don't get it. I am excited that people understand physics. I'm excited that we have gravity because if we didn't, we'd be floating around in a never, never land. But God created a wonderfully good world and universe, and everything in it. He looked at it, and he said it was good. Yes? So what happened? What, what, what happened? Where did we come up with the idea that there's not enough? That's really what I want to talk with you about today. Where did we come up with this idea and this concept that there, there just isn't enough? And I know we all believe that. I know we've bought into that idea that there isn't enough. And I know that, that, that we believe that simply because of how we live our lives and what we do with things that God has blessed us with. Because the reality is, and if you, ha and if you don't believe me, there are a couple of television shows that talk about this. But the reality is, many of us in our world, in the North American world that we live in, we have become hoarders. We become collectors of things, yes? And we have lots of different things. And oftentimes we have those things because there's something in the back of our minds where we think there's not going to be enough. We're not going to have enough. We're going to run out. Long time ago, long before I ever started preaching full time, I used to do some remodeling of houses and stuff, and I did a remodeling job in Montgomery, Alabama for a gentleman by the name, you know him, I don't know if you know Jim or not, but his name is Jim Cohen. Jim was a wonderful man. He had retired from the state of Alabama. He worked with the Department of Children's Services all of his life as, as a working man. He was a, a, a social worker with them. Phenomenal guy. Wonderful, wonderful man who grew up during an era that you and I call the Depression era. You, some of you know what that means, right? Some of you aren't old enough to have lived through that, but you've heard stories, right, about your grandparents, Yes. So I'm doing this remodeling job. Jim and his wife lived in a beautiful home on the south side of Montgomery, and they had a beautiful swimming pool and a very, very beautifully manicured backyard. Gardener came in and took care of it. It was absolutely gorgeous. But this house was built back in the early 50s, and the windows in the bedrooms were like this big. And they were like 
this high above eye level. And you couldn't hardly see out the windows at all unless you were on a step stool or something. And he said, Ed, he said, one of these days I know I'm going to be older and I'm going to be sick and I'm going to be lying in my bed and I want to be able to lay in the bed in the master bedroom and look out a big bay window and see the beautiful garden and swimming pool that I have in my backyard. He said, can you do that? And I'm like, Jim, for a small phenomenal fee, we can do anything. And so I proceeded to rip out the back wall of his house. And I cut the brick out, and then we took the two-by-fours out, and we put a header up over the big window, and we put in this bay window that was floor-to-ceiling that was eight feet wide, and it was absolutely beautiful when we finished. And, and Jim was right there with me during this whole construction project because he was retired, and he had nothing else to do except show me around and follow me around and get in my way. <clears throat> but one of the things that struck me that was very interesting about Jim in this experience, every time I would take down a two-by-four, he would pull the nails out of it. And not only would he pull the nails out of it, he would take a hammer and he would straighten all of those nails. And I I, I mean, I watched Jim do this for like four or five days. And I finally asked him, I said, Jim, help me understand why you are straightening these nails. He said, Ed, you never know when you'll need them. I'm like, Jim, you can't even drive a nail that's been straightened. It, it, it causes the metal to be defective, and you can't hardly drive it in a piece of wood again. He said, it's okay, I'll straighten it again if I need to. And all of the bricks that I took out of the back of his house, I cut them out, and, and they were just laying in a pile. He took every one of those bricks, and he knocked the mortar off of them, and he saved all of those bricks, and he used them for liners around the flower beds in the front of the house, and he had all kinds of fun stuff. And I'm like, Jim, why are you saving the bricks? He said, Ed... He said, you you don't understand. He said, when I was a kid, I grew up in the Depression, and we had nothing. He said, we had nothing. And he said, I just have it in my mind that there may come a day again when I would have nothing. And I don't ever want to be in that place. He said, so I just save all this stuff. You should have seen his garage. You can only begin to imagine. Guys, I'm telling you, we still live like that. And I know we do. I know we do. Now we may not straighten nails from an old two by four. We might not knock the brick or knock the mortar off of an old brick, but we live this way. And I know we do if you follow the money. Follow the money. We live in a different world than we used to. There's a verse of scripture in Jeremiah chapter 2. It says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, and they've broken those cisterns that cannot hold, and they're they're broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And I'll explain what this verse means a little bit more in a couple of minutes, but I want you to realize that we live in a little bit of a different world than what we used to live in. And our mindset has changed over time. In the last 50, 75 years, it's changed a lot. In the last 150 years, it's changed dramatically. And the world that we live in today is so remarkably different than what it used to be. Over the past hundred years, we've moved from a God-centered world to an urban, man-made environment where everything is centered around us. And I know that's true for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that I know it's true is because of how we talk about grass growing. It used to be that we would look out at the yard and we would look at things in nature and we would say, look at what God has created. Look at how God has made the grass to grow. And now when we look at it, we're like, I can't believe that grass is growing that much. And I have to cut the grass again. 
And there's a part of us, there's a part of our psyche, there's a part of our mindset that has virtually removed God from being a part of our world. And we live in a world where we think that it's all about us. It's all about what's going around us. And, 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 and some of that comes because we do understand the process of photosynthesis. And we can write it down. And we could go through all of the chemical transformations that a plant goes through to make something that's not green, green. And we have physicists. And we have nuclear physicists. And we have all kinds of people that are way smarter than I'll ever be or want to be who can tell us intricate things about how the world works. And in the course of learning all of that, we've left God out. And the sad part is, if I can borrow an expression from the Reagan era, some of you will remember this, this expression, we now have the trickle-down effect from what we've been taught and what we've learned about the physical world around us. We have a trickle-down effect because in this trickle-down effect, what happened is now that we've figured out some of these things that were beyond our capacity to understand and know, that trickle-down effect has caused us to kind of push God out of everything. And He isn't in very much anymore. We've left the springs of water, of living water, and we've built our own cisterns. We've left and we've walked away from the one who gives us life, abundant life. And we've created these little worlds. We've created our own little cistern. We've created our own little thing that we hold our world in. The problem is that they break easily. And they're not really designed to do very much. They certainly can't feed us and take care of us the way that God can. We move from dependence on God. We used to think like this. People used to think this way. To men belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue, and in their hearts people plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. It's not that way anymore. I can't tell you how many emails I've received since the first of the year from wonderful people like Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone and other people who are the gurus, who are the, the, the ultimate planners, the ultimate get in touch with yourself kind of people in the world and they keep sending me email after email saying you need to do this for 2018 so you can get your plan together so that you can accomplish all of these things and none of it has God in it and we've gone from a dependence upon God understanding that all of the things that we think the thoughts of our hearts are from God to I plan my own thing, I set my own way, I determine my own course, I am my own man. Where's God? We've gone from depending upon God to a mindset of scarcity. We're now on the defense all the time. We work diligently to try to maintain what we have. We do everything we can to escape potential loss and to cover our bets, to cover and hedge against our, anything that happens so that we don't lose. We live in a world where we're reactive, not very proactive, and we guard and protect everything. Any of you have any insurance? For everything? Not against insurance, 
but I am against the absence of God. We live in a world where we're paralyzed, we're on hold, it's narrow and closed. We think it's a win-lose situation. Stagnation is everywhere. Stagnation is in the church because we're afraid to step out and do what God wants us to do. We've gone from a mindset of dependency to one of scarcity because we think there isn't enough. And yet God created a world that had absolutely everything that we needed for every circumstance and thing that would ever come our way. And he's even promised that to us in the Bible. So how do we get here? How do we move from this dependency upon God to where we almost have removed God from everything, sometimes even from church buildings? How do we get here? It's a trickle-down effect. We become so acclimated to someone in the world telling us how things are supposed to work and how they do work that we've lost sight of the fact that God is in it all. Interesting conversation with Judy after class this morning. She's like, Ed, God is in everything. And I'm like, you're exactly right. God is in everything. He is in the wood right here. He is here. He is with us. He created it for Pete's sake. And yet we've conveniently shown him the door. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, guys, too often we think that we are the ones who can determine it all and make it all and fix it all. And when it comes to the work of the church and what the church needs to ultimately be engaged in, which is truly the truest mission of the church is to seek and save those who are lost. Okay? Let's just, let's just cut to the bottom line here. The truest essence of the mission of the church is to seek and to save those who are lost. And we've allowed all kinds of other things take precedent over that. People are funny. Because we like to take care of ourselves. We like to make sure we feel well and good. And we forget about sometimes those that are outside. God said through Jeremiah, They've forsaken the spring of living water and built their own cisterns. And guys, I'm offering to you that when it comes to our work as a church, our work as people in the kingdom of God, we have created these little microcosms of worlds in which we live and, can, and, and carry on our lives, and God isn't there enough. So how do we get over there to where God could be back in our world? Well, there are a couple of verses of Scripture I told you a minute ago that God promises some things. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It isn't just about what you can do. It isn't just about what you can sell. It isn't just about how well you can do your job. 
It isn't just about how well you get along with people. It's about God being in your life all the time, working, walking, living with you, and you giving him the space to be where he needs to be, even when it may not be very comfortable for you, because God needs to be with you. 2 Corinthians says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. I don't really like Paul. I honestly don't really like the Apostle Paul sometimes. Because he has a bad habit of saying things that are, that are too broad brushstroke for me to be comfortable with. And he says things that I'm not very easily adaptable to. And they don't really make me very comfortable. Because if I hear what this says, I have no excuse but to trust in God for everything. And how many of us are truly comfortable with that? I'm just a child, Ray. I'm only 58. In October, I'll be 59. I'm just a child. But a part of my conversation with my wife, with whom I've been married and living with for over 38 years, is what are we going to do when we retire? Any of you had those conversations with someone? What are you going to do when you retire? Where are we going to live? You know, we live on a boat. You really want to live there when you retire? We were talking yesterday, and Lynn said, you know, I would like to find a place where we could live for the next 10 years. And I'm like, well, we're on a boat. <laughs> and it floats. And the motor even works. Man, we can go somewhere. And when we have conversations like that, the thing that keeps coming into my mind is where is God? Now see, there's some of you here in this room. You've been living in this community for a long time. And you're very fortunate. You are. And God has blessed you in amazing ways. Because you moved here however many umpteen years ago or generations ago or decades ago or whatever it was. And you bought that house back in 1962 or 72 or whenever it was, and the 30-year mortgage is paid. Lynn and I were talking. She said, you know, if we'd have stayed in Atlanta, we'd have our house half paid for. I'm like, mm-hmm. And there's mosquitoes <laughs> and rain, and it's like three degrees there today. Amen is right, yes. And we don't want to go back there. But where is God in all of Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. So where's God in all of your lives? See, here's what rubs me. This is what, this is what gets under, the, this is the burr under my saddle, if you will, if you know what I'm talking about. This is what gets under my skin and rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Sometimes I think you and I believe that we are in control of everything and we're in control of all the money and we're in control of all the decisions for our lives financially and we're in control of where we're going to live forever and we forget that there's a God who might have some other plans for us. He might even have some other plans for you financially. He might have some other plans for you in, in, in all of those kinds of areas of your life as well and yet we don't let him in sometimes. 
because we want to control it because we are afraid we're going to run out of money. And then when we're retired, where are we going to go? God created everything good. And has God ever, ever done anything where there wasn't enough? Scarcity is a lie from hell and from the devil. It is a lie from hell and from the devil. Because God didn't create scarcity. We created it. Out of the frailness of our minds, out of the imperfections of our own thinking and our own minds, we're the ones that created this thing called scarcity where we won't have enough. And because we created it and we bought the lie and we bought into all of the stuff that Satan's tricked us into believing for over all of these generations, we now live in a world where if we don't have enough in the mon of money in the bank, if we don't have the house paid for, if we don't have this and if we don't have that, we think our whole world is gone and we're never going to make it. And we spend hours and hours and hours and years trying to accumulate so that we won't run out. And my fear is that in doing that, we're calling God a liar. Because Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, said, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you will have sufficiency in all things. So, uh, what are you doing with your money? Malachi chapter 3. I know it's very small type. There's a Bible in front of you if you want to turn to the passage, but I'm going to read this. Malachi 3, God speaking through the prophet to the children of God. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you do rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. You're a whole nation because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty, and then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land. Let me tell you some good news about this church. We operate in the black. And I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty good news. We were very, very careful 
when we decided to bring Brandon back and when we hired Aaron to do the work that he's doing full time, and even when they pay me the little bit of money they pay me, we were very, very careful to make sure that when we set up this year's budget, that we didn't spend money that we didn't have. And we operate in the black. Now, the only way we do that is because if you keep giving what you've been given, if you give a little bit more, we'll have even more black. You get what I'm saying? But we made that decision on purpose because we feel like we are responsible as elders of this church to be good stewards of what you, through God's blessing, give to us to manage. That's where we're at. Now, here's the $100 question for us. What do we want to do beyond what we're doing right now? See, this is the hard part for us. This is truly the hard part. What are we going to believe in next as a church? We got a phenomenal youth minister. We got a good song leader. I'm not going to give my opinion of the preaching, but you keep coming back for some reason. Maybe it's just because you feel compelled to go to church. I don't know. And if you do, God bless you. But you're here for a reason. But what are we going to do next? Well, I have some news for you and some other news for you, okay? Here's the news. We ain't doing nothing. Pardon my grammar. But we ain't doing nothing if the contributions don't change. Because the reality is we're just about like at the break-even part on operating in black. And if we wanted to launch another ministry and you put the label on the ministry, it's going to take resources to do it. If we want to move into a position where we as a church pay off this church building and, and have a debt-free situation where we're not paying however many thousands of dollars every month to the bank to keep the, the, the building where we're at, that's another kind of conversation. So at the end of this month, last Saturday of the month, I think it is, the men are going to have a men's breakfast. And we invite all of you, men, to come and be a part of that breakfast because at that meeting, we're going to start talking about things we want to do. And ladies, you're not off the hook. Just don't even think you're off the hook. Because in February, there's going to be a ladies' breakfast. And we're going to be talking about things that we want to do as a church. But I want all of us to understand that if we don't come back to the spring of living water, which is God, and allow Him to direct our paths, and if we don't accept the promises that He's given us that we will always have all sufficiency to do all of the good work that He puts before us, the conversation is moot. And there's no sense having the men's breakfast except just to eat scrambled eggs and bacon. I want you to join us in this vision and I want you to be thinking with us that it's time to believe and it's time to go to the next step and it's time to do more things because we've done great things. The church has done great things here for 35 or 40 years, but what's next? I want you to take just a moment and I want you to look to your left and to your right. Go ahead and look to your left right now. Down the pew, look to your left. Now would you look to your right? How many empty seats are on your pew? You've got to get to work. You see what I'm saying? How many empty seats are on your pew? This building will hold how many, legally? 350 to 400 people without opening the balcony. We can get about 350, 400 people in here. You can read that? Good for you, Ben. I can't read that. 
546, that's standing room only, baby. That's when we take the seats out and we're standing and dancing. Well, standing anyway. Opportunities are all around us, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, they're all around us. But none of those opportunities ever come into reality until you and I are willing to step out and walk with God and do the things that he's called us to be. And I believe with all of my heart, he's calling us to be a different kind of church than we are right now and we were last month and we were last year or even what we were different than what we were five years ago. He's calling us to be something different and we invite you on this journey to become what God wants us to be. So Brandon is going to come and lead us in a song, Oh, to be like thee. And I invite you to sing the words of this song with all of your heart because we want to be like God. But I want you to remember, God only created good stuff. And he didn't create scarcity. He only created abundance. He created exactly what we need. And I encourage you to embrace that. We're going to stand and sing. If we can help in any way, pray for you. In any way, come and let us know as we do. Brandon. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of our treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art.